Amen. Good morning, everybody. Oh, man. Thanks for just coming to worship today. Um, thank you to our, our team who, uh, who lead us in worship. Can we just say thank you to them for um, the, the body of Christ is made up of people with all different gifts and abilities. And just say thank you uh, to, to you for using your gifts in whatever ways God has gifted you to do. You're a blessing to those around you by using those gifts. And so I'm thankful for uh, people with a musical ability and ability more than just to be able to play and sing, but to lead in worship and to have a spirit to do that. So uh, really, really grateful for that. Um, if you have your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are red ones. should be on the row you're in, either in the seat in front of you or at the end of the row if you're in a bench. And um, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And while you're turning there, wanna, um, we, we get a chance to do something kind of special this morning in that we get a chance to bless Howard and Kathy as they start their sabbatical. Now their sabbatical doesn't actually start until next Monday, the 19th, but uh, this is going to be their last time in worship with us here at South Hutch. Next Sunday they'll be at McPherson. And so this is our chance to just bless them and send them. And also just to say thank you uh, for the gifts that they um, just bring to our life together as a church and to our community. Howard and Kathy have been planted here, have been uh, pouring themselves out in this community for 25 years. And uh, we are here in a lot of ways as just the beneficiaries of that, of, of their gifts and faithfulness to, to just be used by God. And so... This is, a, this is a cool opportunity for us to just sort of return the blessing as a church and send them on this, these three months of renewal, uh, time away uh, to, to just hear from God, time to be renewed and refreshed and to have kind of a, a revision for, uh, for their lives and for the church. And so Howard and Kathy, I invite you guys to come forward here. They're uh, going to be doing some... some tra- is there another microphone that's still on, Carl, or something? I hear something in the background. Somebody, somebody maybe has it? I don't know. I just didn't want anybody to go to the bathroom with their microphone on. and we, and we catch them. It's like one of the pastor's biggest fears, isn't it? <laughs> How's that for a segue into blessing you guys? For <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Oh, man, we love you guys so much. And, yeah, we're incredibly thankful that, uh, yeah, that you're here and God has called you guys here. And so uh, as a church... I just pray that you would join me. Just You can raise your hands uh, forward here to the front, and we will just uh, pray, pray for Howard and Kathy. Lord God, thank you uh, just for these two who are children of yours, uh, servants of yours, who have given their lives uh, to be used by you to uh, work and to serve your church. And God, um, their gifts are obvious. So many of us have been um, have been blessed by them through their words, through their care, their hospitality, their wisdom. God, you've used them to, to just form us. And so, God, uh, as they receive this gift of, of sabbatical, of a, a season of renewal, and a time away from, from just the, the tasks of ministry, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just just uh, pour new life into them. God, thank you um, that they do so much more than just fill the role of pastor 
here in the church, but God, you, they are pastors. You've made them to, to be this. And God, they love people in their community. They love people that don't call Journeyman and I Church home. And there are so many people in this community that look to Howard and Kathy as their pastors. And so God, uh, we just say thank you for them and ask God that as they travel to be with family, that that time would be great as they work with churches that are just needing a fresh vision from you, that you would just give them the wisdom to share. And God, as they just have times of quietness and stillness, again, we just pray for just a fresh filling and empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Speak to them, God. Give them, give them um, just words that would not leave their minds and, and their hearts, God. Just fresh words from you that, um, God, we, we fully believe that we will be blessed by their going and having this time away. So we commit them to you, and as, uh, as their family, as their church, we send them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Yep, love you guys. So I would uh, like us to learn a, a new word this morning, uh, a word together, and maybe it's a word you already know. It's the word glocal. How many of you have heard that word, glocal? A couple, a couple of us. Um, glocal is actually up for approval for a, a new word in the English language. Uh, learn something about that process this week, that you can like submit words, uh, they have to kind of have a some movement behind him, a groundswell of use, and then words get submitted to a team, a committee, that decides, does this word make it into the officially sanctioned English language or not? It would be in the dictionary. And so glocal is one of those words that's kind of being debated. Should it be included in the English, English language? And the reason for it is because there has been this, you know, what the internet has done to us is, is pretty crazy that it has extended our neighborhoods to around the world. I'm guessing if you're under the age of 20, there's a, probably a good chance, and you're into video games, you've probably played video games this week with somebody from another part of the world. Um, that our neighborhood, the people who we interact with, ha- has increased exponentially in the last 20 years. And the internet has done this to us. And we can sit in a coffee shop all day and debate, is this good, is this bad? You know, things aren't the way they used to be. Well, this is how they are now. And there is this, like, this global reach that every person has. And so this idea of global, it combines something that is global, that reaches to the ends of the earth, and yet it's local. It's here. It's rooted in its own context. And, and this is what the church is. The church, this group of disciples of Jesus, uh, extends, the, the, the family of God extends to the far corners of the earth, and yet wherever the church is, wherever there are disciples of Jesus meeting in that place, it puts its roots down, and the gospel grows in that location. It's local. The church is, is global in that it reaches to everywhere, but it's local. The church is always saying, how do we plant the gospel of Jesus Christ in this neighborhood, in this community, in this place. And that's our job here. Where, wherever your neighborhood is, whether it's in South Hutchinson or Hutchinson or wider Reno County, like we, we're constantly asking the questions, how, what does it look like for the gospel to get planted 
here, for the church to, to sort of spring up here in our neighborhoods, in the places God has called us. So we have this global mission. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about what it means to make a difference, next week to make relationships, and the third week to make disciples. And so um, we have this morning, one of the things that's kind of cool is uh, some of you had like a really short weekend, like because you were up at like 3 a.m. on Friday to send people off to some of you are like, that's why I'm asleep right now. Um, <laughs> to, to send people off to, to Chiang Mai, Thailand. We have a group of people um, in Asia today. Uh, they're actually journeyers on three continents as we're meeting here. There's a group uh, in Asia, in Chiang Mai, Thailand, uh, of students and, and adults that are going with them. And so pray for them this morning. Uh, as, as they come to your mind, just, just continue to pray. As we were singing that last song, uh, God, you're never going to let me down. Um, talked to one of the persons who was on the trip who just said, man, last week in the service, that song, I was filled with all kinds of worry and stress about the trip. And that, those words spoke to me. Uh, God is not going to let us down. And so I found myself just sort of praying for them this morning in worship. So, so pray for our group in Thailand. We have a group that also left on Friday in South America. They're hanging out in Bolivia, working with our partner ministries there, and just seeing what God is up to there, um, working to encourage, uh, encourage those who are there. And then there's us here in North America. Whether we got the short end of the stick or not, you'll have to decide that. Um, but we are called to live out the mission of God here, right where we are. So the mission of God is local and it is global. And Jesus actually says this. Not, he doesn't use the term global, but you find it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, this is a really uh, well-known scripture. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've heard it lots of times before. But I want to just bring us back to it because it's, it's one of uh, the key texts for the church. Some of the last words Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends back to the Father. He says this, But you, the church, the disciples of Jesus, you will receive power or authority uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you, there's a ripple effect here. Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. One of the interesting things about this in Acts 1-8 is it, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Jesus is actually responding to a question the disciples have asked him. They ask him, they say, Jesus, is now the time, now that you've been raised from the dead and, and he's been teaching them for the last 40 days, is now the time when you are going to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? And Jesus gives them this prayer, this answer. He says, no, 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 it's not for you to know like when it's going to happen, but I'm going to sort of open you up to this idea of how it's going to happen. You are going to be my witnesses. I'm going to empower you through the Holy Spirit to witness to the reality that my kingdom is coming in Jesus, in your lives, here on earth as it is in heaven. So, um, if we were going to talk about the global mission of God, like what, what is it? What is God's mission? Uh, you could, I think you could be really um, scriptural. You could be accurate in looking at the Bible, describing God's mission in a number of different ways. And I think one of those ways is to say God's mission 
is that his will, his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Like if you look at the Bible from beginning to end, that's, that's God's heart is that his will, his government, his rule, his reign would come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray this way. He says, when you pray, whenever you pray, pray this way. Uh, and one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer is that, that. God, we pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's mission. And we get to partner with it. Uh, I, one of the, my favorite authors, uh, his name is N.T. Wright. He says this, the resurrection of Jesus, which we just sang about, right? The, the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. Jesus has been raised from the dead. It says the resurrection of God, of, of Jesus, is not God's um, initiative to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. God's mission is not to sort of, in the end, sort of snatch us away, by and by, I'll fly away, but it's to colonize earth with the life of heaven. It's to implant heaven inside of his disciples so that God's kingdom comes, God will be done more and more on earth as it is in heaven. And we trust and believe through the eyes of faith that when Jesus returns, this is going to be ultimate reality. It will be fulfilled. But this is the mission we get to live into. And Jesus says it's global. It starts in Jerusalem. It starts with those who are like you. It starts in your own neighborhood. Those who are right around you, who talk like you, look like you, act like you. Whatever that context is, it starts there. But then it ripples out to to Judea, to the community, to the wider region you're a part of. To those who aren't quite like you, who don't quite act like you, who there's a cultural barrier, it, you're compelled to go to them. And then to Samaria, he says. And the Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. There was a lot of tension, a lot of animosity between Samaritans and Jews. And Jesus says, this kingdom, this mission is going to send you to your enemies. To, to people who are opposed to you, who don't like you, who are antagonistic to you. But God's mission, when it grips our hearts, is going to even send us to our enemies. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. It ripples out from there. And it is the love of Christ that compels us into this. So we partner with God's mission. We, we, we enter into it. We, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, uh, one of the things the Bible says is that we are designed then to do good works. Part of the way we, we get into God's mission is by doing good deeds or good works because we were created to do them. Take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Talking to his disciples and he says this, you're the light of the world. Church, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it then gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. They can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Part of the way we partner with God and participate in his mission is by doing these things Jesus calls good deeds. That in some way, these good things we do, they're like a light that illuminates the world around us. Light is beautiful. Light is comforting. Light is hope-filled. When the sun came over the eastern horizon this morning, it fills us with all kinds of hope that today is a new day. Right? That, that God is faithful and good. And Jesus says, you, my people, 
I, I'm, I'm calling you to be light in this world, to have this comforting, illuminating effect on the world around you. Jesus says to the church, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. One of the ways um, I experience this and I see you all being light in our own community here is through the care portal. Um, the care portal, maybe some of you aren't familiar with it, but we have this connection. The, the church is connected with these families in our community that are struggling to hold the family together, foster families. And we get to help families that are either at risk of losing their children to the foster care system or to help foster families who have opened their homes up to these vulnerable children to be able to care for them and serve them well. And so over the last, uh, it's been about, I think it's close to two years now, uh, we have been partnering and meeting needs and helping um, just do life with these families so that they can do what God has maybe asked them to do. And I see, we have, we have people here in the room who have who've opened their homes up as a foster family for years. I'm amazed when I, hear, when I hear the stories of just this way that God has called some of us to, to be faithful and to just extend radical hospitality to these children in our own community who have no other place to go. Maybe you didn't know this about Reno County. Reno County has a systemic problem. And that is that we send more kids into foster care than we have homes that are willing to take them. So regularly, social workers who, who, um, who work in this arena of life, families will have to be divided up, kids will have to be divided up and sent out of the county because we don't have enough places to take them. And the church has started to respond to this. And the care portal is one of those ways. But do you know what happens when a, when a, a child comes into our home? When a child who, who lives in a, a home where there is perpetual chaos... And, and there's instability. Like, I don't know if my parents are going to be there tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to, uh, if the people who say they love me are going to be around tomorrow. Like, just this chaos. And when a child is living in that kind of perpetual chaos, and all of a sudden they come into one of our homes where there's just like slightly, maybe less chaos. Um, not saying there's no chaos in our homes, right? That's not true. Sometimes it's just more, a little bit more controlled, a little more founded. Um, but they come into our lives all of a sudden now. This child who thinks everybody's like this. This is the way the world works. This is how families are. All of a sudden they experience the light comes on and they have this opportunity to see. And it doesn't always click this way, but they have an opportunity to see a fresh vision for their lives in the future. Families don't have to be this way. There's a different kind of way to be family. And you can sit around the table together and you can talk respectfully to each other and you can be stable and you can have people who love each other. That can bind a family together. All of a sudden, there is this fresh vision for this child to say life can be different and this is illuminating in our community. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Maybe some of us are called to open our homes up. I know we have some people who have gone through the MAP classes really recently um, because they're wanting to open their homes up to, to foster kids. And maybe this is something that God is, is putting on your heart as well. We'd, we'd love to just have you take a step in that. And I would love to connect you with those who have been doing this for years and years. Uh, sometimes being light is just living with kindness. Just live with kindness. Like, um, now, do you know that the Bible, there's no place in the New Testament I, and I can say this with absolute certainty. There's no place in the New Testament 
where Jesus or an apostle says, um, I'm calling you to be nice. Be nice. It's not there. I can say that with absolute certainty. Niceness is never something that uh, God is asking of us. Um, The Holy Spirit does not create us into nice people. You can tweet that again later. Um, Because here's the deal. Nice people, we've talked about this before, but it's good to come back to that nice people, um, they have a smile on their face. They're polite, but they never initiate good toward anyone else. Nice is passive. Nice can sit in the corner all day long with a smile on his face and never really interact with anybody unless they interact with them first. Nice can be a wallflower. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, church, I just want you to send you out in the world to just be nice people. But do you know what the Spirit does inside of us? It fills us with kindness. And the difference between niceness and kindness is while niceness is passive, kindness initiates good toward other people. Kindness steps toward people and, 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 and wants to bring blessing and to bring good and initiates conversations and steps into people's lives. And the Holy Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit, is kindness. kindness. So part of just like being light in the world is just living with that kind of Spirit-filled kindness to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family. Um, and so it's, it's not like this big, mystical, scary thing. Sometimes it's just like saying, God, would you just fill me with your kindness today and help me see people the way you see them? This is part of what it means to be light. And Jesus goes on, he says, so let your good deeds, so that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know that good deeds and good things are not the same? There is a difference between doing good things and doing good deeds. Anybody can do good things. You don't have to be a disciple of Jesus to do good things. This world is full of phenomenal people who are doing lots and lots of good things. But they're not necessarily connected to Jesus. They haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus. Good deeds um, are done by disciples of Jesus. Those those who have said, I'm in on the mission of God. Because what Jesus says is people will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That in order to do good deeds, as Jesus is talking about them, we actually have to have a connection to our Father in heaven. That as we then live in, in these ways in the world, there's a connection that hopefully people make back to our Father. We were designed for good works. Now, let me be really clear. Salvation, salvation does not come through good works. Right? I mean, I hope we all agree on that. Salvation does not come because we are doing good works. God uh, brings his grace to us, and that is what saves us. Salvation comes to us through God's grace, but it may very well be through our good works that others experience God's grace. Does that make sense? We're not saved by our good works. We're saved through God's grace, and yet it may very well be by our good works that others encounter God's saving grace. So this is something Jesus says we're designed to do good works. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this. Uh, He says, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Um, Paul planted this church in Ephesus, and now a couple years later, he writes a letter to them. And if you remember, like in Acts chapter 19, as he plants the church in Ephesus, he starts a riot, which is a great church planting strategy. Um, Like, 
What if Journey, like we said, hey, we feel called to plant a church in Nickerson, right? And so we're going to go start a riot, and then the church planter is going to take off, and a church is going to survive. And then, So that's kind of what Paul does in Acts 19. He starts this riot, and the reason he starts a riot in Ephesus is because he starts proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and it, it butts up with the, the culture of the day that says, we worship the goddess Artemis. Ephesus was in modern-day Turkey, and it was known, it was on the map because um, of the worship of the goddess Artemis. The Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. People would come from all over the world, all over Asia Minor, to come to the Temple of Artemis and to worship. And what Paul starts to do when he's there planting the church is he says, you know what, you people, you come and you worship Artemis, and then you buy these little sculptures of Artemis, these little statues, these idols, and, and they're just made of stone or silver or whatever. And you take them home and you think that the goddess is there. But let me tell you that God is not made of wood or stone. There, there's one true God and he's the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. And he's a God who is revealed in Jesus. So this God is not a God at all. And it starts a riot. And so people make a lot of money off of Artemis. They make a lot of money from using their skills to create these, you know, idols of the goddess. And, and the riot ends with a, the Ephesian people saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! You can read this in Acts 19. And so Paul leaves town, and sometime later he writes this letter to the church that's now planted in Ephesus. It's rooted there. And he says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. To the church that lives in the shadow of the temple of Artemis, he says, you know what? You're surrounded by a culture that creates art of the gods. And yet you worship a God that makes art out of you. You are God's handiwork. You are created in God to be beautiful in this world, to bring light, to, to, to add beauty to God's good world. This is what the church is. And oftentimes, these good works, these, these, these spirit-inspired good works, they, they, they kind of center around compassion. Compassion. Like the, we just, Jesus throughout his life was moved with compassion when he saw people who were hurting. And by the way, the, the word compassion, it literally means, it's a compound word, and uh, made up of two parts, com, which is the, the prefix that means with, Right? And from the Latin, uh, this word uh, patai, which means to suffer. What is compassion? Compassion is suffering with someone else. Suffering with. What does that look like? To suffer with someone. Well, the church has oftentimes in its history done things to people or done things for people but we've missed pretty often in church history doing things with people. To say, you know what, when we do things to people, it's we're standing on higher ground and we're going we're gonna to do this to you or we're going to do this for you. But compassion actually comes off of the higher ground and it suffers with people. It looks at them in the eye. It gets on their level. It enters into the mess of life together. This is what compassion is. 
And this is what I think, if we're going to be the kind of church, the kind of people who, who live out God's mission here, it's going to mean that we stop maybe doing things to or for, and we, we engage with people. And let me be the first to tell you, it's really messy. It's really messy, and more often than not, we're going to miss it. Uh, I, I told you a story uh, a couple of, it's probably been a year ago, that maybe some of you will remember, that I was coming down Main Street, and I was going into Bluebird Books, and uh, I was going to go get a cup of coffee, had a meeting there, and a, a, a woman was walking down the street and appeared to, um, to sort of, uh, she had like a, just kind of a large uh, cart that she was pulling behind her. It looked like all of her belongings were there. And so um, she said, hey, could you spare a couple of bucks for food? And I said, you know what? I'll be happy to buy you some food. I'm headed right in here. Let's have a scone. I don't know if you remember the scone story. I tried to convince her that scones would be the best thing in the world. Um, And she was like, no, no, no. I want to go down the street there. And I'm like, oh, but I have a meeting here. And so just come in with me. I'll buy you a scone or whatever. And she ends up just walking away, kind of throwing her hands up and walking away from me. Um, I missed it. I was going to do something for her, Right? Um, you need a scone. It will change your world. Um, and I missed it. I missed this being with her. Well, this last week, what was really interesting was I was leaving um, the bank on my way home from work, and I see this woman. I didn't recognize her at first, but she's like standing on the sidewalk, and she kind of motions to me, and I roll down the window, and she's like, hey, could you spare a couple of bucks for food? And all of a sudden, it clicks. This is the same late. God, I'm not going to miss it again. So I'm like, where do you want to eat? And she's like, oh, just right here, right here at Dairy Queen. So I, I pull over, and I was like, I'll, I'll meet you over there. So I'll meet, meet her, and um, like, well, what do you want to eat? And, and so we start talking a little bit, and um, I had this really, again, I had a pretty tight schedule. Um, it was with my family, hadn't seen them all day, and so Carmen's waiting for me, like supper's on the table, I'm running late. And so I order, we order some food, she gets what she wants, and we talk a little bit, and we say like, hey, I introduced myself, I said I'm a pastor here at Journey at South Hutchinson, would love to connect some other time and, and talk. And uh, she got her food, and she sat down, and I kind of had to go, so said goodbye. And again, I just sort of like, as I reflect on that, it's like, there are limitations to what we can do for people, but what would with look, what would me being with her, what would it have looked like in that scenario? I knew her name, and I know her name now, but I probably would have just sat with her. I would have called Carmen and the kids to say, hey, let's go to Dairy Queen tonight. Let's just sit with her and talk, but I didn't do that. Uh, I did something for her again. I bought her a meal. So like, I, I, I share this to say, like, this is hard. We're used to doing things two and four, and to be with, it's slow, and it's messy, and it's inconvenient, and it will interrupt us, but it is the way of Jesus, because Jesus came to be with us, and he entered into our lives, and he en- enters into our lives still, and into our mess. Um, I, there's this great book I would highly recommend called Smart Compassion, written by a friend of the church, Wes Furlong. Some of you may remember him. He was here and spoke, um, I think it was at the beginning of last year. And I've had a chance to dive into this book a little bit this, this past week. And he tells a story of, in 2008, their church in Cape Christian, Florida, was the epicenter of the, the economic crisis when, when the housing market collapses in 2008. They have more um, foreclosures per capita in their county than in any other place in the U.S. So the church is just saying, okay, what do we do? How do we, how do we help people? And so they decided one of the things that we're going to do is they were going to throw this 
massive Christmas party. Because that was the thing. Like, who buys Christmas presents for their kids when they don't have a home or they're in danger of losing their home? It's the last thing on the list. So, like, we're just going to throw, we're going to, like, blow the roof off the place with this Christmas party. And we're going to buy every kid an individualized gift. We're going to have them fill out, a, uh, you know, what they want. And we're going to buy it for them. And we're going to give it to them at the party. It's going to be awesome. And people are going to see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Uh, it's going to be beautiful. And so they do this. They throw this extravagant Christmas party. And, and Wes shares in the book the story of, that changed everything for him and just sort of took the wind out of his sails. It was at the end of the party, there was this father and two sons who he watches come up to these two ladies from the church. And these two young boys come up to the women and say, like, give them big hugs. And they turn around to their dad, who's like 20 paces behind. And they say, Dad, like, we want you to meet the women who bought our gifts for us. And they're giving them a hug. And Wes said he turns and he looks and he sees the expression on the dad's face. His dad was full of shame because he couldn't afford to buy the presents. And somebody had robbed him of his dignity of being able to do that. And the church, as well-meaning as they were, they did something for the people. What would with have looked like there? What would it have been like if the church would have said, you know what, we know that you can't afford gifts for your kids this year, what would be helpful for you? Uh, to empower him to buy gifts for his sons. To, for the sons not to know that this was as big of a struggle, but would have give, given their dad his dignity, he could have kept it, and there would have been a relationship formed there that would have allowed him to, to be the father in their lives. Churches, we've been used to doing things to and for, but the way of Jesus is with people. And this is what compassion looks like. It means suffering with others, entering into their lives. It means opening up our lives to others. It means being messy, being messy. Um, one last story. It's from a guy uh, named Henry Dunnant. Um, and uh, Henry Dunnant was, uh, in the late 1800s, there was a battle um, in Solferino, Italy. And as Henry Dunnant walked through this 15-mile battlefield, it was the bloodiest battle that Italy had ever seen. 40,000 soldiers lay either dead or dying on the countryside. 40,000 people. As he walked around, was just overcome with the suffering. This is, what, this is what compassion does. It makes us feel the suffering of others. And then he walked into town and he saw all the townspeople behind locked doors. One because they just didn't know what to do and one because they... They wanted to keep themselves protected. They wanted to keep themselves safe from all of the bloodiness and the mess that was happening around them. And so he can't take this. Henry Dunnett can't take this. And so he runs through the town yelling at the top of his voice, These are all brothers. These are all brothers. And slowly what starts to happen is the doors start to unlock. And people start to open their doors and start to come out. Now, they had lots of good reasons to stay in. What if, what if they rob us? Like, what if, what if the violence floods over into my family? What if I'm not safe? What if uh, my house gets messy and gets bloody? And what if, you know, all this stuff happens? They had lots of, lots of good reasons to stay secluded in their homes. But recognizing their common humanity, they opened their doors and by, this is Friday night. By Saturday morning, there were makeshift hospitals throughout the town. 
that were saving hundreds and hundreds of lives. And this was the instance, this was the moment that began what was known as, what we all know as the Red Cross. This was, the, this was the thing that started the Red Cross, this organization that has, has been uh, a compassion agency throughout our world for all of these years. But it involved people opening up their lives, stepping into scary places, getting messy, and entering into the pain of other people. What does that look like in your life and mine? What are the excuses we tell ourselves that, that says, no, no, I'm just going to keep myself and my family behind locked doors? Because compassion is going to lead us to open the doors. Um, So I want to end with a question and a prayer. The prayer first. The prayer is this. God, what would it look like if your kingdom were to come here as it is in heaven? And I I want to invite you uh, as a church just to pray this prayer this week. Like what would it look like to pray this prayer every single day to say, God, what does it look like for your kingdom, your rule, your reign, your government to come here as it is in heaven? In my neighborhood, in my place of work, and to just to take some time to pray this prayer and to listen and to allow God maybe to give you a vision for what it would look like if his kingdom was, was, was here as it is in heaven. And then the question follows it up to say, then how do I spend myself toward that end? What does it look like for me to spend myself toward that vision of God's kingdom coming in our context? God, we ask that you would fill us, so fill us with your compassion. The compassion that, that led you to come into our mess, that led you to, to leave heaven, to come to earth, to be with us, and even to give your own life away for us. God, we ask that you would fill us with that compassion. That would, um, would lead us out of the locked doors of our homes. Would lead us to stop taking the easy road of, of doing things two or four But God, you would lead us into the scary place of of just being with. Of seeing people, of loving them, of suffering with them, just being in solidarity. God, we we thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in us, is moving us, that your mission is growing and expanding throughout this world. And God, we are thrilled to be a part of it. And so God, uh, give us a vision of your kingdom coming here as it is in heaven. God, fill us with a fresh vision of that and then give us the boldness and the courage to act, to act in kindness, to act in faithfulness to what you're doing. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.